Welcome to the ILO Employment Podcast Series, Global Challenges, Global Solutions, the Future of Work. I'm your host, Tom Netter, and today we're going to look at the increasing importance of career guidance in the labor market. The world of work is being buffeted by a host of disruptive trends, from public health crises to accelerated automation, digitalization, and climate change, labor markets are under stress. This is causing rapid expansion in the kinds of skills and reskilling needed to help workers stay employed and enterprises stay competitive. Career guidance has emerged as an essential element in both recovery plans and forward-looking strategies for navigating through such disruptions. And in both developed and emerging economies, there's increasing demand for career guidance services such as labor market information, job search assistance, counseling services, reskilling opportunities, and training. Here to discuss this today are my guests, Pedro Moreno de Fonseca, ILO Technical Specialist on Lifelong Learning, and Glenda Quintini, Senior Economist specializing in skills and adult learning policies at the OECD. We're going to examine the role of career guidance services in helping individuals to achieve their potential, make economies more efficient, and societies more inclusive. Pedro, Glenda, welcome to the program. Let's start with Glenda. Um, Can you define what we mean by career guidance? Also, can you tell us how the current waves of disruptions have impacted the nature and delivery of career guidance in both developed and developing countries? Thank you, Tom. Yes, career guidance describes the services that help young people of all ages uh, to uh, um, manage their careers and to make education, training and labor market choices. Uh, It allows them to reflect on their ambitions, on their aspirations, on their interests, uh, look at their qualifications and skills and see how they relate to where they want to be in the labor market. So it includes uh, career information, personalized guidance and counseling, uh, skills assessment and developing careers management skills. Despite this very important role, there's only 40% of adults access career guidance every year, and only half of 15-year-olds tell us uh, that they have seen a career guidance advisor. Now, during the pandemic, the demand increased, particularly from the side of newly unemployed workers, of uh, workers in sectors that were particularly affected by the pandemic, and also uh, young people who are in the last year of schooling. Despite this, the offer was lower. Uh, so, in fact, uh, there was um, less availability of services because of the lockdowns. Also, many of those services were moved uh, online. So, from 6% of online services before the pandemic, uh, 80% of providers reported they were providing services online during the pandemic. And most of them expect that this will continue. So, after the pandemic, half of them consider that a lot of the provision will be virtual. Thank you, Glenda. Now over to Pedro. Um, You have some comments on the growing centrality of guidance and how the approach has changed. Yeah, I I can pick up just directly on a bit on what uh, Glenda said. Um, I think that uh, what what the data we gathered uh, during the pandemic shown us that there was a very unequal access also to career guidance. So this digital divide really shown its teeth and uh, we identified a great need in, in fact for people to to be supported in accessing uh, digital services in many countries but I would like also to focus on aspects linked to the evolution of this uh, 
idea of what career guidance is. I mean, the approach itself to career guidance has evolved a lot, you know, from this type of medical approach where individuals are seen as having deficits, problems, you know, that need to be corrected so that they fit into a job to a more empowering approach, you know, based on the acknowledgement of people's potentials and in which you try to work on them, uh, create self-awareness, help people pursue activities which are meaningful. Uh, for themselves. So in in a way, the services that we have now are more truly centered around the individual with an holistic uh, vision of the person and uh, also trying to avoid to transfer the full responsibility of what what is uh, their careers uh, to the person. So there is an understanding that there needs to be an enabling environment. So career guidance is not the, the silver bullet. Let's put it like this. Thanks, Pedro. These rapidly changing megatrends roiling labor markets, such as increased digitalization, changes in work organization, greening of jobs, among others, and unforeseen disruptors such as the COVID-19 pandemic, have posed unique challenges for career-related decision-making by both young people and adults. How might the career guidance and counseling needs of young job seekers differ from those of adults and or older workers who might be moving between jobs? Glenda. Yes, absolutely. So obviously in the context of these mega trends, the needs are changing. So young people are making more decisions because they are staying in education for longer and they're also facing a very dynamic labor market. So they need to prepare for frequent changes in jobs later in their career. And older adults are also affected because uh, technological advances, the green transition are changing the way we do things, the tasks at work, all jobs and skills are disappearing or radically changing. So they need upskilling and reskilling and they need guidance for this. People are working longer and they are also moving between countries more frequently. There's new forms uh, uh, and ways of working, which also mean that individuals are expected to take responsibility for their own education and training. And finally, guidance is essential for uh, recognizing and validating the skills that uh, older adults might have acquired outside of education. Again, thanks, Glenda. Now, Pedro, can you give us a few words about uh, youth and, uh, and adults? What do they need? Yeah, I mean, part, part of it is quite common sense. I mean, youth are more like an empty glass, whereas adults have their glass at least half full. <laughs> so um, they have different uh, uh, needs. So in a way, what, what young people need is, is really more based on impartial information about occupations, you know, instead of uh, being informed by biased opinions uh, many times by family members, they need to uh, understand the pathways to to get to these uh, occupations. They need uh, experiential learning opportunities about the world of work. Frequently, especially uh, uh, young girls might also need role models so that they understand that they can do any number of of, uh, activities in the labor market. Adults, on the other hand, I mean, they need to uh, make sense of their pathways. Many times they are in in slumps in their careers, in the middle of their careers. They need to map opportunities for change. They need to see how they can reskill, pursue different choices that they might have. Sometimes they need to transform their vision of themselves and what they can do, which means that activities like individual counseling and disintegration that Glenda talked about with uh, recognition of prior learning, with flexible learning options, acquires a great importance. 
So very briefly, I would say these are the differences. Thanks, Pedro. In the wake of the pandemic, what do you see as the arc of future developments in career guidance services, Glenda? Well, I think we've talked about uh, the negative implications of digitalization on career guidance provision, but there's also some positives. So, for example, we see how AI has the potential to enable the provision of personalized career guidance at scale. So, um, using AI makes it possible to build an individual skills profile and comparing to the skills required in available jobs. So, we know how this is uh, possible because AI allows for analyzing a larger uh, set of data, looking not just at qualification, but also at the skills background of individuals and the activities they might have done outside the labor market, volunteering or skills they've acquired in everyday life, and then match it to what is needed. And similarly, AI can allow an analysis of skill requirements uh, of different training programs. So what skills are developed by training programs uh, so that we can use those training programs uh, to fill Skill gaps. Again, thank you, Glenda. Pedro, can you talk a little bit about uh, the context of career guidance, such as HR, social protection, flexible training, lifelong learning? In terms of, of what the future may bring, I, I think it will be very important to have career guidance uh, embedding itself in the context where it might be relevant and where uh, eventually there's less awareness about its potential, what the activities can do. I'm thinking concretely about uh, employing career guidance uh, uh, tools and methodologies in human resource management, embedding them in uh, social protection services of many types, uh, really having career guidance supporting uh, incentive systems to training, uh, for example, looking at what's happening in, in the European Union, that's the, the path, let's say, that the individual incentives to training are taking. For example, embedding in outreach activities and recognition and validation of skills. So I, I think a lot of the, the, the future developments have to do with this uh, smart utilization of career guidance where uh, it is relevant and where it can actually reach the people. Now, what role can career guidance services play in promoting more just and inclusive societies, in other words, promoting social justice? What solutions options exist for those countries with less resources to commit or invest in career guidance compared to middle and higher income countries? Glenda? Yes. So, I think uh, uh, career guidance can help address uh, some of the inequalities we're observing, for example, for young people. Career guidance is very important to address differences in socioeconomic backgrounds. We know that children from disadvantaged backgrounds make worse choices because they lack the support and information that their better off counterparts can gather from their families and from the broader social network. And even among adults, uh, social and family networks are very important uh, to gather information about uh, opportunities in terms of their careers. Uh, in our survey, for example, what we find is that there are still uh, very large gaps uh, between uh, socioeconomic groups in terms of access to career guidance. So the largest gap is found between uh, older individuals and, uh, and younger ones, so 22 percentage points difference in participation in career guidance. Differences between those living in cities and in rural areas uh, to the disadvantage of the rural dwellers. 
and differences between the high and low educated uh, and men and women in some cases. Uh, for example, workers in jobs that are really threatened by automation receive less career guidance than those in occupations at a lower risk, which again means that we are not reaching those uh, who need career guidance the most. Thanks, Glenda. Now over to you, Pedro. Can you talk a little bit about careering in low-income countries or contexts? Yeah, sure, Tom. Uh, I, let's say that guidance has to be a bit of a component in, in why the strategies and career guidance on its own will not solve the issues relate to social justice and social inequalities. So it needs to be part of wider strategies that include employment uh, policies, social protection policies, etc. I think it's important to uh, acknowledge that uh, lower-income countries have completely different contexts. I mean, frequently they have higher demographic growth and much uh, bigger informal uh, economy. Institutional development tends to be weak, so there might not be an organized public employment service. You don't have professionalized career guidance. You might not have labor market information. So it is important to identify the opportunities, the entry points to provide support. In addition, you tend to have also substantial cultural differences about what work means, how you develop, what career might mean. Uh, So we might have a much less individualistic uh, society, more oriented towards family, towards the the community that needs to be taken uh, into account. I think that it's also important to acknowledge that uh, economic informality uh, and learning and working in economic informality tends to be a career strategy in itself uh, in these environments. And while um, thinking about the intervention of the ILO, decent work remains a key target, uh, these interventions need to properly acknowledge that there are local opportunity structures that people use And these opportunity structures need to be understood and need to be dealt with when you're uh, providing the career uh, support. So I'll leave it at this. Okay, thanks. Well, this brings me to my final question. It's been said that career guidance should be seen as an investment rather than a cost. Can you elaborate on this, Glenda? And also, looking ahead, what are some of the policy recommendations on the role of career guidance both in terms of recovery from recent disruptions, but also in addressing future challenges. Yes, so the majority of uh, evaluations of career guidance activities show, in fact, that it has very strong positive uh, uh, economic, educational and social outcomes for, for young people, for example. So we see that there is a wage premium that goes with the idea that uh, it should be uh, seen as an investment. So the wage premium of 10 to 20% for young adults uh, that have participated as teenagers in career guidance and also better outcomes uh, in terms of uh, maths scores and more uh, positive attitude towards school. For adults as well, we see that providing a personalized career development roadmap increases the chances of finding employment or entering education or training. And to achieve this, of course, the quality of the provision matters a lot. So uh, what we are saying in terms of quality is that it's necessary to establish quality standards in the service delivery uh, that describe the basic uh, requirements for how career guidance is provided, 
setting up accreditation against these standards could be a requirement, for example, for funding uh, received by the public purse. It's important to professionalize career guidance advisors through competency frameworks. Some countries already have that to standardize the offer and to allow adults also to uh, understand who they are uh, consulting. And then using uh, a good information, making sure that career guidance advisors have access to good information and, and prompt timely on how labor market needs are changing. Thank you, Glenda. Now, Pedro, um, some final reflections on long-term impacts and the need to understand outcomes and impacts better. Now, perhaps I'll also focus a little bit about uh, other types of impacts. And uh, this um, general purpose, the, these, this big objective, for example, of creating more resilient societies, more environmentally uh, aware societies, these objectives can be strongly empowered by career guidance because you can uh, use career guidance to develop, let's say, green attitudes, civic, more civic attitudes, increase uh, cooperation uh, and solidarity in the world of work and inside of work environments, for example, this integration with human resource management that I mentioned just a while ago. It can contribute to, let's say, generate a better cooperation between uh, employers and workers inside of organizations. It can help establish also uh, learning pathways that contribute to create true learning organizations that can deal better with uh, productivity and innovation challenges. And I also think that uh, career guidance tends to have uh, a very strong effect uh, in terms of enabling uh, labor market mobility, so directly contributing to break glass ceilings in the labor market, for example, for for women, for people with lower income, uh, by increasing the information that people have access to and also by increasing their capacity to act uh, in in the labor market. As you said, uh, the impacts and the outcomes of career guidance are still under research, so uh, a lot of investment should exist in this uh, area so that we have better monitoring and uh, evaluation of the systems because we need to know really what works better with whom and in which uh, context. For example, having trace studies Uh, on a more regular basis to understand how people have impacts of career guidance over their lifetimes. And careers are uh, an important type of research that can be undertaken. Pedro, Glenda, thanks for this interesting and relevant overview of the role of career guidance services in today's labor economy. So where are we now in terms of the role of career guidance? From today's interview, it's clear that while access to these services is available to many, For several groups of workers, low-skilled, low-qualified workers, people with disabilities, migrants, refugees, and the self-employed, this remains out of reach. We need to close these gaps and ensure that these critical services leave no one behind. In terms of meeting people's aspirations and response to permanent changes in the nature of work, and even the quest for social justice, one thing is clear. Career guidance is more important than ever. I'm Tom Netter, and you've been listening to the ILO Employment Policy Department podcast series, Global Challenges, Global Solutions, The Future of Work. Thank you for your time.